0: Well, welcome back to our second week of our uh, King Jesus Easter series. If you've got your Bible, go to Matthew uh, chapter 21. We're going to be kind of focused in there. We're going to do a couple of different things today, but uh, that's kind of where we're going to kind of settle in. Uh, If you are uh, maybe new and maybe haven't been watching, I I encourage you to go back and watch online uh, last week's sermon because it was the introduction to this series. Those kind of set... Uh, the foundation for what the subsequent weeks are going to be. I, I, I rarely uh, ask you to do that, but it might be good for you to kind of get a little bit of a foundation there. Uh, that's all on our Facebook page as it sets. We're in the process of trying to uh, move the last two years since we've been streaming, since COVID hit, um, over back to our fa- our our website, and then that would automatically populate back into our podcasts. There's been a couple of people who've asked about those, and so we're in the process of those, but all this right now is still on Facebook. So uh, you can go back and watch those, and that'll kind of let you understand where we're kind of coming at. Last week, we tried to answer the question of why would we follow a king that was going to be killed? And, uh, and really, we, uh, we ended up answering that question very simply, how could we not, right? How could we not follow Jesus after everything that he did, after he took our place on the cross, when he died for us, he paid the penalty for us, it was all for us that he did what he did, how could we not follow this king? And we looked through uh, a number of different passages of Scripture, uh, looking back even into Isaiah, the Suffering Servant, and and how God—it was the Lord's will to crush Him, which is an incredible verse out of that Isaiah chapter fifty-three. And so, um, this week, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of. Uh, look at another event in the Easter narrative, and it's one that I have never preached on. I've never even taught on this, and, and I think about it every year. By, by the time we get there, I go, huh, I didn't even address that part of the story, and so I thought, well, what better way to do that, and so what we're going to do is I've got a picture on the screen. Mark, will you put that up there? I've shown you guys this picture before. This is the, the 66,776 uh, cross-references in Scripture. Uh, this is an artist's re- rendering of that. I showed you guys this, I think, some, sometime last year. Uh, all the little marks across the bottom, you can probably barely even see those on the screen, uh, are the chapters of the Bible, starting with Genesis all the way to Revelation. The longer the mark, the longer the chapter. And then each little arc is a reference or a cross-reference from Scripture. So you can see uh, the, the lighter those marks are, the closer they are to each other, the, the further away you get, you get that kind of rainbow look. It's an incredible picture, and we're going to do a little bit of this today because what we're going to see in Scripture, we're going to kind of read out of Matthew chapter 21, but we're also going to flip back to the Old Testament and we're going to see where Jesus is actually either quoting or actively fulfilling some sort of Old Testament prophecy or some sort of Old Testament reference. And so uh, today what I want you to do is I want you to be ready to kind of go back and forth. This is just a, a little picture of what we're going to try to do a little bit today. And so um, as we get into this, what we're talking about this morning in Matthew 21 is the triumphal entry, right? This is a story that we're familiar with. This is part of the Eastern narrative and and, uh, and I want to read a part of this. We'll kind of work our way through it and, and see kind of these incredible connective dots of how, how Jesus, the whole time through this event, is establishing himself as King Jesus. So if you've got your Bible, Matthew chapter 21, let's start in verse 1. It says this. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olive, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt beside her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. Now, here's what I don't want to do this morning. I don't want to diminish the importance of this moment based off of familiarity because when we read this passage of scripture, and most of you have probably already heard somebody get on a stage at some point in your life and preach about the symbolism between Jesus riding on a donkey and how important that moment is. And to be honest, I, I really struggled in even um, preaching this this morning because of its semi common knowledge. Uh, and here's, here's why because I know my wheelhouse as a pastor. Okay. I I am not a I'm not a dynamic preacher in that I don't raise my voice very often. I don't, I don't give like these big visual aids. I don't, I don't try to dramatize somebody or even uh, over inflect in my, in my delivery. I just, I'm, my personality, if you know me well enough, you know that I'm very even, I'm very calm. Uh, it takes a lot to get me really riled up about anything. And so I'm, I, I kind of deliver most of the time like that. I have been in services with dynamic pastors and it's incredible, right? And I kind of feel bad that you guys have to sit and listen to me sometimes but I I watched a guy on stage one time he had this huge they were in this big church and uh, he had a 20-foot log on the stage and he came out and preached an entire sermon as a first century woodworker who had been commissioned by the Roman government to make crosses and so the whole time he's talking, he's, he's, he's making, he's chopping this wood and he's like hand milling and he's hewing this cross out of this huge log on stage. That's not me. You're not, you're not gonna, I don't be like, hey, somebody else want to come up here and swing this ax because I don't want to do it. Like, I, that's not the way. I, it, was, it was incredible. It was dynamic. It was powerful. It was great. But that's not how I preach. And and this is, please hear me, this is not like a, oh, feel bad for Matt, because that's not what it is. Because I know my strength. I know my weaknesses, but I know my strength. And my strength is this. I'm a little weird. And I'm okay with that, okay? And, like, I believe that the way I approach Scripture is just a little weird. Because I don't ever want to come to a passage of Scripture that's familiar and just check off boxes and just read it. Right? I always want to try to come from a unique perspective or, or from a different angle. And even try to say, okay, God, what's the bigger picture that you're trying to do here? So because I'm a little weird, I read scripture a little weird. And, and I, I preach scripture sometimes a little weird. And so when I come to this moment, I'm like, okay, well, everybody already knows this. And so I don't, I just want to skip over this part, right? We can, we can read through the parts of scripture that we're really familiar with and we go, well, we can just kind of pull back and we can, everybody already knows this. So we'll just keep reading. We'll skim through. But as I was putting this together, it's almost like God brought me back to this truth. He does this on a number of different times. Just because you know it doesn't make it any less incredible. Just because you've heard it before doesn't diminish its value in any way. So, let's picture this scene if we can. Jesus is coming back to Jerusalem. It's Passover time, so the city is packed full of people. Everybody upon everybody is here. It's it's really, literally, the perfect time for Jesus to announce his kingship. If he was going to do it, why would you not do it at this moment? As a matter of fact, if you read in Luke, Luke's version of this entire narrative and and even this part of the story says in Luke chapter 19 verse 11, it says, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. They were ready. They were thinking, okay, this is it. The stage is set. He's here. He's about to go into the city. He's about to announce that he's the Messiah and that all the Jews in Jerusalem are going to go, you're right. You're the guy. Let's do this, right? And the problem is that Jesus had already told them that the next time I go to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. And so there's this kind of, even with the disciples, there's this this Push and pull. There's this excitement of, oh, this could be it. All the while knowing, no, he said, next time he goes there, he's going to die. Matter of fact, they tried to talk him out of it. Don't, don't, you don't have to go back. And so Jesus comes in, and he comes in a little different this time. He comes in riding on. A donkey he tells the disciples go get it and we're not going to talk about whether he stole it or not we're going to assume that he returned the donkey okay there's some people that are like he just took a donkey it wasn't even his but they obviously had permission and so they got it and he's going to return it later now uh, he rides in and and what's great about this is Matthew doesn't leave us to figure this out on our own he tells us because we're we're obviously a little bit removed from this so if you keep reading verse four it says this this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet and he quotes Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine, say to the daughter of Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. So Matthew does the, the, the little arc work for us, right? He, he, he does, okay, this is what Jesus is doing. This is what he's fulfilling. This is a prophetic fulfillment of scripture, And so I'll just say this, and I've got it on the screen just so that everybody's on the same page. If you're not familiar with this, that's okay. When, in Jesus' time, first century uh, Jerusalem, when a king rode in during wartime, he rode on a horse. But a king during peacetime rode on a donkey. This is even symbolized for us in, uh, in Israel when Solomon uh, was being appointed king. King David was about to die and he said, put Solomon and put him on my donkey and, and lead him into the city. This is in 1 Kings chapter 1. And so this is something that they're used to. So when they see this person riding on a donkey, now not everybody who rode on a donkey assumed that they were going to be a king. Let's just say it like that. But Jesus doing this is is fulfilling some some Old Testament hard ties back to what he's doing in this moment. Jesus, riding on a donkey, was much of a statement of peace as it was of his kingship. This King Jesus comes willingly into a city, knowing what's going to happen. He comes prophetically, fulfilling Old Testament scripture, and he comes peacefully, on a donkey. But he comes to Jerusalem. Right? He's riding into Zion. What does that have to do with us? If this King Jesus is only king of the Jews, only King in his little kingdom, is that ruling us out? Because I don't know, maybe you guys get caught up in this. I could care less about the King of England. I just, I don't care anything about the royal family. Y'all remember when the weddings were on and everybody's like, oh, the royal wedding. I, don't, I didn't care. I don't, Jessica will say, oh, she was born in the wrong country at the wrong time because she loves all that. She wants to be Lady Jessica of whatever. Like she, she would love that to be a part of her title. But, but I, I just, I could care less, you know, I don't, I, you know, you know your history, we know the king of France, we know the king of England, we know all those different things and, and, and right now there's still this monarchy and I just, I just don't care, right? And so the reason why I don't care is because it doesn't have nothing to do with me, right? 1776, right? So like, I, I don't care, That's, they can do their own thing, they can, so if Jesus is the king but he's only king of the Jews, what does that have to do with us? But this is why scripture is so great and why biblical literacy is so important. You guys know that I've been pushing this for over a year now. Uh, Theological understanding and biblical literacy. Know how to read your Bible and understand what it means. Okay, so important. Because if we were just going to read that Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9, then we'd miss what it's really talking about. So if you have your Bible, flip over to that. Zechariah 9, 9, it's on the screen if you don't says this in its whole context. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea, from river to the ends of the earth. See, this this king that is coming in Zechariah is not just a king in Jerusalem. He's a king of all nations. He's the king of the whole earth from sea to sea. Sounds like he's king of the whole world. And when we see Jesus fulfilling this, he is riding in on this donkey in this peaceful manner, holding salvation in his hands. And he's not just king of them in the moment. He's king of all, of all time. Now let me just interlude here for just a second because this is so important. What we see in this symbolism is the last time we're going to see Jesus on a donkey. (laughs) It is. It is. The next time Jesus comes riding is in Revelation chapter 19. And it says this I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called faithful and true, and in his righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed with fine linen, white and clean, are following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that may with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod and iron. And he treads on the wine presses and the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe, and on his thigh he has his name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. When he returns, he's riding a horse, and he's coming to judge the nations. He's coming peacefully here in Matthew chapter 21, but later he comes to set all things right. It's incredible symbolism. It's an incredible picture. Back to Matthew chapter 21. Let's go back to verse 6. It says this. The disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. That's always a good thing. When you read this, don't skip over that. Jesus says to go do something, the disciples 99% of the time went and did it. Okay, Why is that so hard for us to learn that lesson? The disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, we know the palm leaves, right? We celebrate Palm Sunday. Palm leaves are are used in a number of different occasions throughout the Old Testament and even in this time period. They symbolize goodness and well-being and grandeur and victory, right? Solomon uh, had palm branches carved into the walls and into the doors of the temple when Solomon built the temple about 1,500 years before Jesus rode in on a donkey, a Matter of fact, Deborah, the judge, if you know your Bible history, Deborah, the judge, she conducted her business underneath the palm leaves. Scripture is very important to point those things out. It's, it's, it's just this thing that was always used as far as royalty and importance. As a matter of fact, even before Jesus, when the Olympiad uh, would happen and the Olympics would happen, the, those, those contestants, the, the victors, would be welcomed back to their hometown with a parade with people waving palm branches and placing them on the ground for the Olympic medalists or winners or whatever they won to come back home. See, this this was something they were used to. It was kind of a celebratory-type moment. And so we can understand that this act announces Jesus as a victor, right? He's coming in, riding as victorious over... What's really great is in Revelation chapter 7, we're holding palm branches when he comes back to. Still victorious, Still winning. But you notice what else they, what they lay down. We all know the palms, right? We get that. But it also says a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Now, I think that's kind of weird. We, we can hearken back to... Uh, I'm sure all of us here, men, have seen a puddle and taken our jacket off so our lady can walk over the puddle, right? We've all done that. That's not just in movies. It's weird. This is kind of a weird... Okay, I get it. If we don't have a branch, I guess we're going to lay down something. But there's got to be something behind this. And what's interesting is that these cloaks announce Jesus as king. Even more than the palm branches... Goes back to 2 Kings chapter 9. Elijah is the prophet and is about to uh, anoint Jehu the commander as the king of Israel. Okay. And so Elijah the prophet is, uh, is talking and he's got a couple of different guys around him and he says, Hey, listen, I want you to go to Jehu, the commander of the army, and I want you to anoint him with oil. I want you to pour oil over his head. And then as soon as you do it, I want you to say these words. Told him what to say. And he says, as soon as you say that last word, take off running and do not stop. And the guy's like, okay. And so the guy leaves and he goes and he finds Jehu. He pulls him inside. He says, man, I got to talk to you about something. And the Bible says that he pours the oil on his head. And as soon as he says what he says, he just takes off running. Runs out of the house, runs down the road. And everybody's standing around looking at him like, that was weird. <laughs> Here's where the Bible picks up, 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 11. When Jehu went out to his fellow officers, one of them asked him, Is everything all right? Where did that madman come to you? And Jehu responded, You know the man and the sort of things he says. That's not true, they said. Tell us. They knew something was different. No, we're not going to blow this off. What did he say? And Jehu said, Here's what he told me. This is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over Israel. They hurried and took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. See, this was an act that was only done for a king. They're going to take their coats off and they're going to make him stand on it and, and blow the trumpet and announce, Jehu's king. Something incredible just happened here because what we see a few thousand years later is Jesus riding in and the palm branches being waved and saying, listen, you're victorious. And the people take their cloaks off and they lay him on the ground and he walks on them because they're seeing him as a king. All these connective lines, man, should be exploding in our brains as we read through these passages. Because this is not just a statement of, of, of being nice. This is not just, all oh, that in that isn't that good part of the story? It's not even just a secondary part because we focus so much on the palm branches that we miss the cloaks. A king is entering the city. And the donkey represents peace. And the palm branches represent victory. But the cloaks on the ground represent a king is coming and we read this we sit back and go wow this is pretty important this is pretty symbolically heavy in this moment we don't have time to read what happens next because it's really it's really great jesus goes to the temple from this moment and he, and he tosses out the money changers. You guys remember this story. He tosses over there and he says, my house will be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. And, and that's all quoting back Isaiah and, and even uh, in Jeremiah chapter seven. And uh, he's kind of cleaning house a little bit. And it's an incredible moment of righteousness and righteous anger towards what was happening in the temple. If you don't know what was going on, uh, most of the time when people would come to the temple, especially during Passover, they would offer a sacrifice. And if you didn't come with a sacrifice, they would sell you one. And essentially, they we're selling the cheapest sacrifice that you could offer. It was, it was pennies. So we're going to come. We're going to come for the party, the Passover party. We're going to come and gather around, and we're going to be here with all of our family and our extended family and all that kind of stuff. But we're really not going to sacrifice because that doesn't matter. We'll just, we'll just get it while we're there. Given God leftovers and God doesn't deal with that very well. So Jesus comes in and he drives them all out and says, this is not what's going to happen here. We're not, we're not playing these games. And he pushes all of them out. And, and again, it, in those verses, you know, my house will be a house of prayer. If you read that back in its original verse in Isaiah, it says my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. And so he's including us again, even in that statement and what he was doing. It's really, really pretty powerful. And then... In a way that almost feels like an afterthought. It almost feels like there's just this like included sentence and we read it and we go on. Matthew puts this verse 14 in. Let's read it together. It says, The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. Now, it's the most basic form here, this is, this is miraculous healing. Well, what we unfortunately do is we get used to reading this in the Gospels, right? We we read stories about Jesus healing this person and healing that person. And by the time we get to Matthew chapter 21, we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's more blind and lame, and he heals them. But again, you shouldn't just blow through a sentence like this. Blind people were able to receive their sight back. People who were not able to walk were healed. This is, this is incredible on every level. But even in this moment, we've got this grand entry, right? Jesus has come in, all this public praise. People in the streets are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, son of David, which is, again, a major connective line back to Old Testament. Dave, king David sitting on the throne was promised to have a descendant sit on the throne forever. And so they're referencing Jesus as the son of David, a.k.a. the prince, or now the king and so the whole city is stirred up and then he kind of comes in and everybody's got to be dumbfounded almost a little bit. Their jaws are all open and, and they're, they're, they're kind of just looking at him, push these people out of the temple, like, get out. And the blind and the lame come to him at the temple and he healed them. Seems odd. Why, at this moment, why would this even happen? Everything that Jesus has got on his plate... Everything that he knows is about to happen over the coming week, right? This is the, this is the passion week. We understand what's going to go on. Why, why this, why now? Even the wording sounds a little odd, the blind and the lame. Why, why doesn't it say the sick and the poor? Why doesn't it say the desperate and the destitute, right? Why does it say the, you know, it says the, the tax collectors and the sinners, right? Why, why does it say it like that? See, I believe Jesus has a plan here. And through the Holy Spirit, Matthew is a a brilliant writer. Here's what happens. A few chapters back in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is active in his ministry. He's active going around. He's doing miraculous things. He's teaching in miraculous ways. If you remember when Jesus started teaching people who heard him, their response was, who is this with such authority, because the way Jesus spoke to them, they never heard anybody say anything like that before. And so Jesus is kind of doing his thing. He's, he's going around. And John the Baptist, remember him? Who baptized Jesus at the very beginning. John the Baptist had guys who were around him, he had disciples as well, because he was, a prof- he was prophetic in nature. And, and John sent his disciples to Jesus. And they had a question for him, they said, "Listen, are you the guy? Are you the one that we're supposed to be waiting for, or, or is there somebody else?" Because John knew his role, His role was to announce the coming Messiah. He understood that. And they're going, "Listen, is it you, Or should we be looking for somebody else?" Because we just, we just want to know, we just kind of want to clarify this. In other words, are you, are you the Messiah or not? And Jesus' response to them, it's pretty interesting. Verse chapter eleven of Matthew, verse four and five, Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight and the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is preached to the poor. He starts off with the same phrase that Matthew uses eleven chapters later. The blind receive sight and the lame walk. Jesus says, you want to know if I'm the one, here's what I'm doing. The blind receive sight and the lame walk. We fast forward to the king's entrance. He's in the temple and he's healing the blind and the lame. We sit back and go, that's pretty cool. I mean, that's, if we're going to connect those little dots right here, even from Matthew 11 to Matthew 21. That's pretty, that's pretty fantastic. But how does that point to him being the king? you got it, turn to Isaiah chapter 35. This is so great. Isaiah chapter 35 is another one of these prophetic moments in Isaiah. He's got a number of those, and this is what he says. Say to those with fearful hearts, this is verse 4, be strong and do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf be unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Isn't that great? Jesus says, hey, listen, you wanna know if I'm the guy? The blind the lame are receiving their sight and are walking. We come to the temple moment where he's announcing his kingship and the blind and the lame are healed. And it all points back to Isaiah 35, where when he comes to save, blind and the lame are healed. You want a sign of the coming king? This is what's going to happen. And Jesus goes, oh yeah, this happened. Matthew just kind of throws it into the narrative. And everybody who reads it, if you're a Jew, reads it and goes, I think there's something about that in the Old Testament. Jesus is not just, just proclaiming his position not as just a physical king, but he's also a spiritual king. King as well, because nobody can heal people unless you're God. And God gives sight back to the blind and movement back to the lame. You want to know if I'm the coming king? Here's what I'm doing this king entered the city as a king, he was praised like a king, and he healed, proving he is the king. Hosanna, Hosanna means save us, save us. And he comes and he goes to the temple and he proves that he's the only one who can save us. It's really incredible. Here's my last thought and we're gonna be done. I'm, I'm, we were a little early today, that's okay. I love how this scene ends because we think, okay, well, that's it. You know, he lame, healed, uh, all that good stuff. That's great. We've witnessed everything that's gone on so far. It's not a quiet event. This is not Jesus slinking into the city, kind of hiding in the shadows. He's out in front and he's out in the open. And all the people remember the, the, the town was so packed. People who were saying, who is this guy? And they're like, well, that's Jesus, the prophet, the Nazareth, right? This is the guy. Everybody's shouting and praising and, 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 and asking him to do something that only God can do. And then verse 15 says this. When the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw this wonderful thing that he had done, and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They were mad about it. I looked up that word, it just means Mad. I thought it would look, I thought it was hoping like for something really great. You know, what's the what's the what's the original Greek word here? It just means they're mad. They're mad about it. All this stuff's happening. The focus is on this Jesus guy, they've been trying to get rid of for a while, and they're mad about it. Verse 16. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. And I love Jesus' response. Yes. Yeah, I hear them. But do you hear them saying, Hosanna, son of David. Do you hear what they're saying? Do you hear the commotion that's going on? Yeah. And I hope, I don't know, we, you know, we, we read into, I hope there was a long pause. I hope he just said, well, yeah. Like, I hear them, it's, it's a good thing, let it happen. And they're so mad, they're so frustrated, they're so upset, and he's just like, yeah, yeah, I hear it, it's pretty cool, isn't it? <laughs> and he says, did, did you not, hear?" he finishes his phrase, because that's not where he stopped, he said, do you not, have you not ever read, have you not ever read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? The religious leaders are mad that he's being heralded as a king. And Jesus says, Yeah, I hear it. Yeah. Do you hear what they're saying? Yes, I hear it. I do. Because it's right. Because it's holy. And because, haven't you ever heard? And that's, oh, that's like such a dig at a high priest because they've heard it all. Okay, they've they've read it. They know it. Haven't you ever heard? Haven't you ever read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? Now, Jesus quoting this passage of scripture. This is Psalm chapter 8. He knew full well what he was doing. You read that in its entirety. Psalm chapter 8 verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens from the lips of children and infants. You have ordained praise. (laughs) Jesus was placing himself in the position of, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He is worthy of the praise that he was receiving. Do you hear them? Yeah, sure do. Do you hear the scene that they're making? Yeah, I sure do. Do you hear the praise that you're receiving? And Jesus says, yeah, I do. Because that's what's supposed to happen. Listen, church, when the king comes, we are to praise. When he comes riding in... We should be waving the palm branches and laying our cloaks down because he is worthy, not, not as a prophet or a victor or a healer, but he's worthy as a king whose name is majestic in all the earth. The Bible says that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is the Lord. These high priests, man, they missed it. And I wonder... I wonder how many times we miss it too. I mean, we, we recognize it. We know the story. We're familiar with it, right? We've read this part a thousand times. And we know Jesus rides on the donkey and all the palm branches and whatever. And we kind of fast forward to what happens on Thursday and Friday in the Easter narrative. We just do that's that, It's the most important really part of this. But don't miss this part. Don't miss him as the king. Not just of Jerusalem, but of our lives as well. And so what do we do with the King? We praise him. We treat him as though he is the king, and we honor him as the king, and hopefully, hopefully, he hears it. Do you hear our praise, God? Yeah, I do because I'm worthy of it. I wonder, I wonder how many of us would be active or how many of us would be sitting back going, I'm gonna let somebody else do that. Yeah, I mean, I understand he's the king, I get it, but, but I've got a lot going on. I've got a busy week this week. It's Passover week, I've got a busy week. I've got family coming in, I gotta get some stuff together. He hears the praises of his people because he deserves the praise that he's getting. So church, the question that we have to ask you, are you praising him as king? Are you singing and dancing in the street like the children? Are you seeing the majestic name of Jesus and worshiping him because he deserves it? Because everything that happened in 21 points to him being a king question is, is he king over your life? I'm going to have you stand up. TJ's going to come and he's going to sing a song of invitation. This is an opportunity for us just to respond to the king who is present with us. If you say, listen, Matt, I don't know that I've ever really come to a point where I've made him my king. He's more like the king in England. That's kind of separated from me, but I need him to be my king. I'd love to talk to you about that. Somebody around you would love to talk to you about that. If you have questions about our church or about what it means to be a Christ follower or a member of our church or baptized, this is your opportunity to respond. Whatever God's working and speaking to you, don't miss the King who is worthy to be worshiped. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you for the truth in your word and how connective and incredible it is. God, never let us just read it so boring and plain. God, every word is so important every phrase is life changing father help us see that and see the truth in that and father even in the stories that are familiar to us father let us never forget the king who is worthy and out of our mouths father let us give you praise Father, we deal with a lot. we got a lot of stuff that we carry around. Father, if there's somebody here this morning that just needs to pray, God, let them come and pray. If they want me to pray with them, i happily do that. If they have questions about who this king is, God, we'd love to answer that. This is your time to respond and speak to our hearts. Let us respond in truth to you. We are yours, Father. And he is our king. Help our lives honor him in that way. In this moment, God, be honest with us and be real as we are honest and real with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm gonna ask you to just keep your head down and your eyes closed, just a position of focus and of prayer. And TJ's gonna sing, if you need to come, then you come. If you want me to pray with you, I'd love to pray with you. If you have some questions, I'd love to answer them. Let's just give God the next few moments as TJ sings.